Hello and welcome to A Toast to the End of the World with me, Will Perity Pond, and... Myself, Sam Cox. Hi, welcome. Uh, in this podcast, we aim to come to a better understanding of the world around us through discussions on politics, culture, societal change, technology, and just pretty much anything that affects us <laughs> as people, would you say? That's, yeah, very yeah, true. Yeah, that's it. Very, just very much the two mark. guys trying to work it all out. <laughs> for a lot of questions and for a lot of uh, hair yeah. ruffles and eye rolls. and So many eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we could power the world on eye rolls, we would be, uh, the energy crisis would be done. Yeah. <laughs> we could put uh, Donald Trump right out of business. <laughs> yeah, we would. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, welcome to Ep3 of this show. Uh, before we dive into our main topic, we're going to ask the question that we always ask. Um, I guess maybe we should give a quick tease of what our topic is this week, mm. just to keep people interested. How do we describe this? Well, I guess the way I thought about it was, this week we're going to talk about our political system. Mm. I think what we spoke about over the last two episodes, like first Brexit and then the internet, we couldn't help but come around and talk about government mm. and talk about the ways in which we felt the government was inadequately dealing with those situations. Yeah. So why don't we look at that system and why do we think about that system a little bit now and how it affects us and how we see it affect other people in this world? Um, yeah, we thought that'd be a good kind of logical step to talk about, didn't we? Yeah, and just sort of seeing if uh, the current political system as it stands is is really still fit for purpose. Yeah. Um, there is going to be... Uh, this is a really interesting topic. Yeah, um, I think it is. And I, just doing the research yeah. that week, I was fascinated by what I was reading and finding it really coming alive off the page mm. of the articles. But as we said, we asked that question. Uh, Sam, mm. what are you toasting to this week? What's happened this week which you want to toast to? Um, or since our last record? I think it's more a sort of toast to the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So it's not a good toast this week. Um, I think I was a bit annoyed by Theresa May um, effectively saying that it's the EU's fault if the UK don't get what they want yep. when they leave the European Union. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I thought that was just such a narrow-minded thing to say. Entirely. And especially when I've read on um, Twitter of all those lovely places you can get information from. But, um, you know, the EU actually turned around and they've given a lot of concession on the Irish backstop. Yeah. Um, I think for Theresa May to say that in Grimsby, I thought that was... Yeah. I did not think that was doing anything for relations whatsoever. No, so I think that, not. that was something that, uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's... If anything, you could say it's antagonistic to them, couldn't you? It is extremely antagonistic. You know, yeah, it's very forthright. Mm. And if anything, without any real diplomacy. Do you know what, actually? It's a comment I would expect from Boris Johnson or Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah. Not from our Prime Minister. Well, this is, this is what really annoys me, because when we actually had the Brexit vote, um, you know, Nigel Farage, one of the first things he did was go in front of the... Um, 27, uh, 27 nations and he effectively said you know you all laughed at me and he, yeah. he just threw it in their face Yeah, and I don't think that Theresa May has really stepped far from that mark in yeah. saying that oh you aren't doing this like it was our choice to leave yeah it was our choice it was... the onus is on us yeah to make those negotiations exactly yeah the onus is on us to create that dialogue between them as we both said last time you know we didn't vote to leave and I wish it wasn't on us to have to do that. Mm. It's something that makes me sad to think of. But unfortunately, it is. Mm. And to say they're not they're not helping us with it, it's as you say, narrow-minded is the term. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it just to me, it sounds like a rallying cry. Yeah. You know, it's or like willfully ignorant. <laughs> bit of column A, bit of column B. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I could toast to something 
happy but oh no go on then what is, uh, go on, Will, what is your a, toast do you think there's been a lot of toasting to happy <laughs> things recently um i'm gonna toast to the eye well it's good you spoke about eye wells earlier that theresa may used the term simples in, oh, uh, no. in parliament now look i like a joke <laughs> i'm a fun guy <laughs> but it's it's just embarrassing you yeah. know what i mean it's it's almost like they're making light of something which is going to have such a detrimentally negative effect on so many people. Yeah. And then I read an article afterwards saying it was all around a bet or something like I that. I heard about this, yeah. I honestly had to check on my browser. I wasn't reading The Onion or like Mashable. <laughs> I was like, this can't be this can't be reality as, as I know it. This must be The Onion mm. having a laugh. Oh, no, wait, no, it's true. It's just incredible. The thing is, she is not in a position to do this kind of stuff. Like, no, if you not. If it was someone who had just done the country a miraculous amount of good make all the jokes you want yeah i'd love it but considering she is sing not single-handedly but she is doing a very bad job of the brexit negotiations and just to to throw a quip in there like that yeah 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 eye rolls eye rolls yeah it's it just it's tough isn't it because you don't want to come off saying because there are other situations where you know people have made jokes in parliament and you know, I've seen the videos online and I've laughed. <laughs> but it, it all comes down to context. Yeah. And within that context, it, it was wholly inappropriate mm. and just gave off the image of uh, a place which has no real care. Yeah. Or is seeing this as all a joke, you mm. know, or it's just a fun game when it's really not. It's going to affect people. It's going to affect the food going to people's stomachs. You know what I mean? It's yeah. going to affect those base things. Like, it's just, just out of interest, maybe you can't answer this or maybe you wouldn't want to. But you just said there, you know, you think she's doing a bad job. I, I would agree. But who else would you want doing that in the Conservative Party? <laughs> it's a good question because there's always like... I was, I was watching... Sorry, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day and they uh, asked the question. They say, do you think it's positive that we live in a democracy? Mm-hmm. And obviously so many people say yes. Yeah. They say, but do you think that democracy is acting well or is it doing an effective job? And no one says... Um, Yes, they are doing a good job. And I think that's very much the case here because she's kind of the best we've got. And yeah. you definitely wouldn't want someone, especially, say, like Chris Grayling in that position. He's already made so many. <laughs> There's another eye roll there. Another eye roll there. Chris Grayling, another eye roll. <laughs> like, look, if I turned up to my work naked, I'd be fired. <laughs> if Chris Grayling turned up naked, he would get a promotion. Yeah. He's a survivor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got to give him that much. Yeah. Especially since Theresa May, after, um, obviously, he had so many pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theresa May was asked, do you still have faith in him? And she said, yes. And I think... That's incredible. <laughs> I just don't know what the going on. I feel like now going it's, on. Um, like, what does that say about her now? Like, like look, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with loyalty. Mm. But it, there has to be a point where you have to think it's going to damage one's own reputation yeah. and one's own outward appearance you know to hold this loyalty mm. and that's all I can assume is holding Chris, Chris Grading in his place like his blind loyalty I would have to agree with you but I, to go back to that question and your answer like I would agree um, for a long time I've been saying you know well at least it's better than you know I'd rather have Theresa May there than Jacob Rees-Mogg Boris Johnson David Davis mm. whoever else Michael Gove or Chris Grading, <laughs> uh, and I would still want her more there than everybody else. I just wish she was doing a better job. <laughs> yeah, and I wish the Checkers plan was more of a plan which I could rally behind and yeah. feel confidence within. It's unfortunate it's not. 
Yeah, that's why that's a good quote that um, came <coughs> from a, um, a study that I actually read about their politics after Brexit. Mm-hmm. I think it was um, the Remainers lost, but the Leavers didn't win anything. Yeah, I think that's very much sums up just the situation we're that's in. That's a great quote, that is, mm. isn't it? Okay, Sam. So it's interesting you should mention there that quote you spoke about about how people are asked whether they think democracy is working for them because mm. I think that kind of leads beautifully. Almost as if I think you might have said that on purpose to segue onto our point. I'm not going to say I've got it written down in front of me, but I've, I've got it written down in front All of me. All I can see on your pad is a massive <laughs> arrow <laughs> pointing from that to another Pretty load much. of writing. <laughs> to our, what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk about, I guess, the political system in which we're living, and maybe touch on other political systems around the world, and to think, is it working for us mm. at the moment? Or do we think it's working for us? So I guess I'll put that question to you. Do, do you think it is? Um... No, I think the spectrum uh, has massively changed. Um, what we are living in at the moment is a society that's running rampant with technology mm-hmm. uh, that is connecting at a huge pace uh, all around the world with uh, the help of the internet, obviously. And if you want to know more about the internet, yeah. <laughs> check out Ep2. <laughs> yeah, go back, listen to it. Yeah. But no, I think um, in a, a world of such dramatic and ever-increasing change, I don't think that when you're looking at a two-party politic, you know, we've got one party and then the opposition, mm-hmm. I don't think that's living up to standard anymore. I think yeah. there needs to be a substantial change. Yeah. And would you have any, like, factors you've seen or uh, a hesitancy, for example? But, but you know what I mean? Like, There's a lot of evidence as to why these... Um, evidence is a great word, sorry. That's what I meant by yeah. example. I mean, there is a lot of evidence as to how it's not working anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we've recently seen in our own uh, landscape... I will use that word. Anyway, as we see in our own uh, arena, which I'll use. It's going to turn off thesaurus.com. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen the uh, the rise of the independent group. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chuck Ramuna, um, in his own words, he said, quote, the political system, uh, sorry, the broken political system, that's what they want to try and rectify. And another quote, it is time we dumped this country's old-fashioned politics and created an alternative that does justice to who we are today and gives this country a politics fit for the here and now. Yeah, I think that's a really good... I mean, the, the image... Uh, sorry, the message, I say, is um, very hopeful. I just hope that that is definitely um, followed up in their actions. The independent group was formed because, uh, you know, Labour Party feels like it's broken, and so do the Conservatives. Yeah. And um, so I think that it's very... I think it's actually very admirable that they're actually at least trying to evolve into something different, something yeah. that's more fitting. That's interesting. I think from my research, what came to struck me was the gulf that I could only see that existed between the electorate Mm. in this country and the government Mm. that, uh, the current political system and the government that's in place. I do think there is a gulf there Mm. whereby the government isn't completely, echoing what you just said, isn't completely servicing the needs Mm. adequately of that large electorate. Um, a lot of articles I read put up, of course, that you know all the all the polls leading up to the referendum said we wouldn't be leaving, <laughs> and of course we know that we were disproven. Oh, big time! Uh, all the polls leading up to our last general election said <laughs> the Conservatives would win by a landslide and walk away with it, and of course they didn't. It was no. it was a close call, and now they're popped up through the DUP, mm-hmm. which is having hugely negative ramifications for us. Yeah. And looking outside of our own climate, 
nobody, well, I think most polls said that Donald Trump wouldn't win in America, mm. and he did win. Yeah, I mean, that's a very strange system they've got out there. Yeah. Obviously, the but I'm saying this, vote, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. or I mean, even yeah. like in France, you know, Macron wasn't, yeah, really yeah. wasn't the favourite to win two years ago. Mm. Uh, you know, and the real discourse was that there was between the hard left and the hard right. Mm. You know, maybe the pen and that chap's name, I can't remember now, he's on the hard left. Um, and then the centrist walked away with it. So mm. there does seem to be a discourse there, at least, between people who are within governments, who are monitoring these things, who are predicting these things, and who are hopefully speaking from a place of educated uh, awareness, and the electorate out there, you mm. know. I found this great quote online. Uh, only 2% in England of the current electorate are part of a political party. That's, say that again? Only 2% of the electorate are part of a political party. So That's, okay, right, are, wow. Are physically part, so. Yeah. It got me thinking though, I don't know anybody. No. Well, I know I one mean, person, but um, who I, I've, I've want to touch on later but um i don't know anybody who's part of a political party like you know actually i had to sort of um because you can canvass for a political party but not be part of them you can yeah, just be course. a volunteer to work for them it doesn't mean you're part of that party so you have two yeah. percent uh, deciding the needs wow or directing the needs for 98 percent, which seems to me to represent that gulf Big, yeah, entirely. I'm I got actually shocked by that from uh, Nesta.org, mm -hmm. which uh, Nesta is an organisation. They call themselves a Global Innovation Foundation. But that article was by, I should say this, uh, Indra Adan, who's the co-initiator of the Alternative UK, which is putting forward the new alternative, right. or is a proponent of this new alternative political system, which seems to be gaining some traction. But that was written last June, so I put that in the show notes so people can have a look at that. So when you when you've um, obviously been researching this episode, have you managed to come across any information as to why there is disconnect? Um, well, it's tough, isn't it, to say information because mm. I guess it's reasons people think mm. you know there might be a disconnect, and I guess the obvious one is that people think the system is antiquated and doesn't serve their needs as people, mm. so they don't feel any they don't feel any momentum to go out there and join or mm -hmm. to do anything political. So um, would you kind of agree with that maybe? Yeah, that, I mean, from what I've managed reason? to come across, I mean, uh, there's actually a study by a gentleman, I believe, called Alastair Ross, um, who actually titled a paper called Young Europeans, A New Political Generation? Question mark. Um, but the entire paper looks at um, schools that um, Alastair visited uh, throughout Europe. And what he actually found were that the students... Um, were very pro-immigration, they were hmm. pro-unification of Europe, um, and they had a much more cosmopolitan outlook than their elders, including parents and grandparents. So I think the, not only the children, but slightly older than those people who are becoming uh, voters now, I think they are seeing the world very differently from how the political classes that we have grown up with yeah. um, are seeing the world. So I think there is a disconnect there. So that's generational. So, that's cool. So if we continue down this path, one possible... Hmm example or evidence we can see of this disconnect the political system is that is that younger voters feel that disconnect and that the parties aren't and the governments aren't representing their views or yeah. their wishes um i guess you know we have a look at the average age and this is from if you go to parliament you go to the frequently asked questions one of the frequently asked questions mm. is what is the average age of an mp in england do you want to guess what the average age of an mp is in england 55 
so close. It was 50. I thought oh, you were going to stop then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 50. So, you know, and if you're an 18 year old new voter, mm. they're going to have a very different life outlook than you might. Mm. So I can imagine that might, maybe that's further evidence of this going down here. That, no, I think uh, that's so telling because. I know it's, it, yeah. and, and, and maybe that's why when we have um, maybe a younger MP mm. or a younger political figure gains a lot of traction online, mm. you know, through shareable videos. I'm thinking of, um, I can't remember her name right now, but the, the Scottish MP who's quite young, probably in her late Sturgeon. 20s. Oh, no, sorry. not Sorry. Are you talking about the Conservatives or the SNP? The SNP. No, don't know. You don't know? Oh, I think of her name in a minute. But she's often had sharing videos and she's, mm. but to me, seems to talk a lot of sense. Mm. Um, I think it's because she is, one, she's talking from the viewpoint of those younger voters mm. and her uh, what she's saying connects with probably what they think to a large extent or you know to what many of them think and also because you know she is in her late 20s and mm. she pro- projects a figure which is very different from the rest of those around her within sitting in parliament at that time mm. and i think maybe you can see further evidence of this uh, in in america with those alexandra casa cortez mm. you know who's caused you know, very much a stir out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they had the... Uh, do you remember the Republican Party released that video of her dancing at college? Yeah, I don't understand why this was well, even... A- well, they they obviously... some One of their spin doctors was thinking, this mm. is a home This is a home run, we're going to discredit her. Mm. And all her fans went, that looks like loads of fun. I wish yeah. I made dancing videos when I was at college. <laughs> that looks like loads of fun. I cut a, um, a video editor, probably said in the first episode, a couple of years ago when the last general election happened, I cut a video with uh, about young electorate and the video was about the first voting experience for mm. the young electorate um so people who just turned 18 and in it they interviewed uh, Armando Iannucci the creator of yeah, the figure yeah. uh, the creator of the thick of it and the day-to-day and in the loop and all those wonderful things and in it he kind of pointed towards that he felt the young were feeling disconnected from the political current political system and one example he used was, and he did say he didn't want to sound flippant, but when you choose your phone contract, when you choose your television contract, mm. when you choose anything like that, everything now is geared towards, well, what do you want? How can you mould this thing to be mm. suit you best? But yet, as he said, these people were then asked to sign up for a political party, though, to support a political party, which has a very long list of um, you know, manifesto promises, pledges, and also mm. personalities, mm. and maybe they just they don't find that easy just to agree with that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I find, and this is a reason why the independent group has um, come as quite a nice surprise, is because you cannot. I, I can't imagine one conservative saying that they agree with everything that the conservatives stand for. So you you can't have a, an entirely connected group all going after every single goal because they believe in every single goal yeah. of that group it's that's not democracy so how can we have just you know one group who is um you say tories and labor you're really giving just two options and like you say they are they have their own manifesto they have their own pledges but these are things that don't really affect people as you say because it's not tailored to their individual needs yeah but it's it just a system between right and left, which is exactly how it's being portrayed in the media recently. You know, you have capitalist versus socialism, and it seems to be very much the same here as it is promoted in America. And the world is the world is no longer black and white. 
No. There are so many shades, so many colours. Yeah. Why are we even adhering to this old politic? And I know it's a very small thing to bring up, but even the aesthetic that you see on clips of being in Parliament, there is a lot of loose language, as I say, political speech is where a lot is said, but nothing's really revealed. Yeah. And I think people are just bored of that. If you can yeah. put like 240 characters on your Twitter account saying exactly what you think and exactly what you mean, why we listen to like random garbage being spouted in what is essentially meant to be a constitutional space that's going to dictate our futures. I mean, yeah. I, I I heard another quote again recently. It's like, steer clear of um, career politicians. And I'm seeing that more and more because these people are trained to subvert, divert, and do what is in their power to hold power whilst letting water run off their backs without yeah. being being accountable i think that's what we're seeing and i think the younger generation wouldn't stand for that kind of thing anymore no. i think even the older generation are getting so sick of it no i think it's interesting i think that maybe you know now we looked at kind of the disconnect between the younger generation and government that point really leads into what i think is another form of evidence is that the world has changed so dramatically yet you know say let's just choose a figure since well, actually, because it's going to reference a quote in a minute I got. Since 1780, <laughs> the world has changed dramatically, yet the political system has changed very little yeah. in that time. It's still uh, a system based of members of parliament who represent a certain amount of space, a certain area where they're mm. elected by that population, mm. and then they all congregate in Westminster, and that's the seat of government. Mm. Um, yeah, if we look at in 1780, that excellent date that i just picked out <laughs> as random uh-huh. the size of the electorate was two hundred and fourteen thousand people hmm. the size of the electorate at the moment is now i believe this is 45 million the figure is four five seven six six zero 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 so that's that's 45 million isn't yeah. it yeah so that's a huge figure hmm. obviously i'm not going to say that the political system hasn't changed at all of course it has changed but do you think it's adequately changed to no keep up with that huge increase of no. people no i mean it's not just an increase in people either it's an increase in ideals yeah i mean because um and an increase in when you're saying about um uh, when you're saying there earlier about that uh, when people become career politicians uh, and now the younger generation would want to hold them accountable and even mm. the older generation i think that's because the tools of holding them accountable have changed dramatically. Yeah. So a hundred years ago, if you were to be uh, an MP who became secretary for, well, I know the roles might not have existed then, but okay, in the fifties, secretary for health, mm. and then within the next shake-up, it's like okay, now you can become foreign secretary. Mm. Uh, the means of which people could gain information about what they're doing were so small: newspapers, radios. Mm-hmm. Now, all their acts can be monitored incredibly yeah. closely, and they are more, and that's. That is a good thing. Yeah. Because they're held more accountable. But I also think that only really serves to show the disconnect that exists and the gulf that exists between the electorate and the government. Because very rarely does it seem we're talking about how these people are doing their jobs well. So, Well, that's it. I mean, we have such access to information. Like you say, it was limited um, back in the day. Now we have information at our fingertips that yeah. is um, almost as, well, as quick as can possibly be at the moment. Yeah. And you raise a very interesting point with access to such information and frankly with investigative journalism being what it is today. Um, I know journalism gets a lot of um, heat 
So when they open something up as as wide scale as something like the Panama Papers, it's a sense of justice. Yeah. Because if that is happening so wide scale that, for instance, um, politicians around the world are putting money into offshore tax havens, like the the younger generation would obviously think, in a very honest way, that's wrong. Yeah. If you were to ask a bunch of kids, you know, these people are stealing money and they're putting it somewhere else. Do you think that's wrong? You probably get a lot of kids saying yes. Why does that get diluted as we get older? We should still be holding people accountable, but there has been so little account to actually be held to people. Um, to be honest, for as long as I can remember. Yeah. So, uh, but I just, now those tools. I guess it, I think the Panama Papers is a really interesting example to bring up mm. because, if I remember correctly, David Cameron at first mm. really held the line because obviously it came out that his father had invested in a lot of these offshore accounts and mm. he himself had benefited from them David Cameron um, he at first said it was a family matter a private matter he wasn't going to talk about it and then <laughs> barely what four days later yeah. he was apologising in parliament for it mm. um, and I think that just shows that they were woefully unprepared for that situation and they completely misread the electorate when yeah. they saw how angry it made people and how upset mm. it made people, they realised we've misread this and we've misread it using the tools which we've used for decades yeah. to, 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 to manage these public PR situations. Mm. And they haven't worked now and that's because the world's changing. Well, that's it. I mean, I think, like you say, they, they, they underestimate the tools and I think that's something that I think we should look at as well. I think political parties as they stand are not prepared for technology. Technology, no, you know, you, you're not going to have um, Mark Zuckerberg and a team of his um, employees writing code at a phenomenal pace and bringing out new ideas, you know, every other day. And you, you're not always going to be able to put legislation through Parliament or through governments to try and catch up with it. So, yeah. like I say, you're sharing of information, and we could talk about big data and all sorts. But uh, no, but I guess you're saying as well that, like, um, kind of referring back to that point we were talking about how gov- the modes of government haven't changed government mm. still exists where legislation can take a very long time to go from the first thoughts to becoming what well, becoming the eventual bills that they become or the official mm-hmm. legislation they become when obviously the world now mm. moves at an incredibly fast pace um, and government can't keep up with that no exactly that's why I think that in the very least the government could do at the moment is actually make some sort of um, department dedicated entirely to the online world. Yeah. That's one option. We'll go into a bit few more later because yeah. I mean, they could go down a very dark route really. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the least they could do to try and keep up with, you know, put, keeping their finger on the pulse as it were. Yeah. I guess that kind of leads on to what I think could be another example of the gulf between the electorate and government, which is that globalisation as something which has dominated my lifetime, and mm. I guess yours as well, Sam, hasn't it? Oh, this, yeah. this idea that, um, you know, through at first television, then Sky Television, cable television, and then the internet, <laughs> and then everything that's come since then, is that, you know, we live in a world where, and we spoke about it last episode on the internet, you know, these these companies, which I, I guess we have to say rival governments in some sense, mm. for their power mm. and their influence and their scope, and probably also for the amount of people they employ. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that through directly employing, but through, mm. you know, companies which use their services or advertise through them and then employ people to do those jobs. Mm. Um, they, you know, Twitter, Google, Facebook, Yahoo, wherever it might be, they exist on the global stage. 
when government as we see it at the moment only exists within its own secular borders well that's that's it i mean like you say there's so many advancements and the idea of these companies is pure innovation that's all they're geared towards and all they're geared towards is finding the next thing that's going to be big in the future grabbing onto it and making money out of it writing it out Mm -hmm. so yeah that's it's sort of leaving governments in their dust really yeah as they race off into the future because there's no way that governments can keep up with that unless they actually employ people from these organizations to become part of like an integrated system yeah and that sounds very futuristic and very strange but i, I think that is the way that no i think that's the way it's going to be going i completely agree with you which is why i think uh brexit and leaving the european union i found so upsetting to to watch over the last you know three years because it's the opposite of that mm. i would hope the european union was a way to moving towards more inter-country cooperation because if you think you know our government controls within its own borders but if it wants to have any influence outside of those it has to go through very intense Mm -hmm. negotiation processes with other countries with other secular governments Mm. which is very time intensive labor intensive money intensive and i was hoping yeah the european union would be the first steps towards as you say (laughs) uh more cooperation between those yeah i mean bodies that's the thing after world war ii we saw and during world war ii what we saw is the war between fascism communism and what people call democracy or liberal democracy and when fascism fell it's just communism and democracy and when the entire european uh european area was almost bankrupt the originally it was the european union was designed to share food and resources to try and help everyone back up and get on their feet and that's something that I think should be lauded and should be championed into the future. That is, yeah. that is, that is democracy. That is a wider set of democracy than something that's, as we've seen, a devolution at the moment into yeah. our own parliaments and uh, the government. I completely agree with that. And maybe you could take that. And obviously, I'm not saying this situation is the same as the awful effects of World War Two. But if there was more uh, inter-country discussion about, you know, the internet and globalization. Mm. And about how they could together mm. meet the new political needs of those advancements. That mm. would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially since we're seeing things like um, intervention from um, states that don't exactly, whose morals don't exactly align with our own. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear about Russian influence. Yeah. Um, Chinese influence as well. Do you think that's because they're? And I hate to say this, they're they're moving one step ahead of our government. Like, like if Russia, if Russia are using, you know, the bots, mm. or they are using the tools of the internet to undermine our political system, then I can't help but feel like they're playing the game better than us. They are. You got to think. I mean, the Cold War was a, technically a war of information, mm-hmm. um, intelligence and counterintelligence. But what the West, uh, what the, um, say Russia, Russia predominantly have understood is that the more disinformation you throw, the more confused everything gets. So instead of focusing on the information, they just flood the markets with disinformation, with bots. Um, and as we know now, information is a form of currency. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But then we're seeing that uh, spread of Russian influence, uh, even in far-right governments throughout uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is in its very basic phase at the moment as this isn't getting investigated, but um, it's something that's coming to light more and more. And they've understood that the internet is 
is the zone because so many people are connected to it billions of people across uh, the world i forget what the figure is actually i think it's like two two or three billion incredible so yes yeah, so i think they have understood just how um beneficial the internet can be in i'm, I'm i don't i'm not even ashamed to say warfare because it is a yeah. kind of political warfare so definitely well if it's undermining other governments and it's having a negative effect on those governments mm. then definitely yeah it is you were speaking earlier about how you felt the divide between these terms of left and right mm. in terms of how people think politically or their own political stance are antiquated and probably mm. don't. Uh, and they are terms which political parties lean into, are happy to lean into, mm. and you feel like they probably aren't as relevant nowadays or probably aren't as useful mm. to describe. But I can't help but look at I'm thinking about how people use the internet, how governments use the internet and information. I can't help but look at, say, uh, the way that Nigel Farage is a figure within America. And when uh, all those reports came out that Steve Bannon over here had met with Jacob Mm Rees-Mogg, and think that those people are already starting to work out that. They already started to work out that information and the way they're seen by their fans mm. and the way they're seen by the people who will maybe vote for them mm. is an incredibly important thing. And by meeting, you know, by Steve Banyan, a American political figure, meeting with Jacob Rees-Mogg and an English political figure, that is that inter-country mm. cooperation we were just talking about. Unfortunately, it's for people I don't like or agree <laughs> with, but it is. And, and, and their fans... And the people who vote for them probably like to see that, you know. Mm. And and they're bringing together, you know, Steve Bannon's bringing anybody who might vote for the people he endorses mm. and direct them towards this figure in England, Jacob Rees-Mogg. And by meeting with Steve Bannon, he's bringing the people who might vote for him mm. and funding them towards Steve Bannon, this American political figure. Mm. Um, yeah, so that cooperation we were talking about, new forms of government, maybe the seeds are there it's just unfortunate it's not who i wish it <laughs> it's just unfortunate it's not the people i wish were doing it we're doing it <laughs> but well, i think it goes just beyond that i mean no the, the, they aren't people that we would um say that we um mirror politically or that we agree with politically but it goes further beyond just a disagreement because yeah. as the connections are being made i mean going back to russia again um, i hate to say it but cambridge analytica and facebook um they data mine uh, yeah. So Cambridge Analytica use the data, but um, Facebook data mines, and there's a lot of evidence coming out now that that's actually being funneled back into Russia. So, for instance, voting intentions or interests, you know, and this is not just it. It's hard to describe, but the internet is a reflection. Uh, so, for instance, our profiles are a reflection of our personal lives. Yeah, obviously. Um, so what ends up happening is Russians generally getting information about how to tweak our emotions uh so they might say i don't know they might appeal to certain biases um and it's becoming an extremely dangerous playing field because when you can tweak someone's emotions you can pretty much steer them in any direction you want if you subvert history or if you subvert the information they have you can again push anyone in the direction you want and i think with the connections being made with people like nigel farage to um julian assange yeah who's you know, he's a questionable character, to say the least. As you're saying, I mean, it's very good that you um, bring up Steve Bannon because there seems to be a very big growing connection as um, 
I'm probably going to butcher her last name, but Carol Cadwallader. Mm-hmm. Um, she's investigating this hugely, and I think she should get as much funding and as much resources as she can get her hands on. I'm going to write down her name. What's her name? Uh, Carol Cadwallader. She seems to be putting the links together very quickly. Um, so, yes, I mean, if someone is already outstripping us in the internet circuit, um, we need to catch up, and we need yeah. to catch up soon before we effectively become a... Hmm, I say vassal state or puppet state, but we don't want to un- be pushed a certain way politically, yeah. especially by outside influence. Yeah. That's just not the way that we were designed yeah. as a country. I would say that's a brilliant example and evidence of the way in which there is a gulf between mm. government and the electorates. Mm. I think we've skirted around this whole, you know, left and right thing as well. Mm. And I think to me, that was another example that, yes, those terms. Mm. maybe are antiquated and do need to be rethought, mm. but also other language that comes with those this us and them yeah type way of seeing the world which i think definitely in england mm. i see a lot of the time mm. every week at prime minister's questions Theresa may will stand up with her folder and direct her direct her answers to jeremy corbyn and obviously it's always negative and it's always accusatory mm. It's a very much a you, us and them situation. Yeah. It's us and it's them. And I don't think that exists really anymore. And I don't think that's the way we see the world anymore for a lot of people. No. So let's say that Conservatives have always been known as the party that um, brings in trade yeah. and brings in money. Well, you can't really say that's the case when you have a housing shortage. Yeah. And then obviously you go to the Labour side and they will say, we will not get all this housing, but they're not too sure about the trade part. Um, so we can't so have you, you can't, can't have, have one or the other. I think as well, like I see a lot of people online, you know, being very much like, you know, I hate Tories or Tories this or I hate Labour, Labour mm. this, and I've I've done that as well in the past. But I think I've grown to realise that that's a completely inadequate way of looking at the world. Mm. Like I I haven't I haven't voted Tory since the first time I voted in two thousand and five, and I do think looking back now I was uninformed. And I wouldn't vote for that now. But mm. my wife, her uncle, is a uh, conservative councillor, and him and his wife are two of the most respectful, caring, kind people I know. Mm. So you can't to say I hate all toys. Mm. Uh, it just yeah, it's wholly inadequate, and vice versa, and vice versa, and vice versa. You're absolutely right. Us and them culture is. Ex- is extremely um, acidic. Yes, and the governments are, or at least our government. And our political system, I do think, uh, propels that way of looking at the world. Yeah, and I think that's um, actually going to be to their own detriment because yeah. at first, after Brexit, I just thought every lever, uh, you know, and I throw my words in the air. Yeah. And who cares uh, where they fell? But since then, you sort of realise that, um, you know, there's more to it than just simple racism. Yeah. Um, or anything like that. So you have to get a more developed picture. And now, when you're, when so many people are saying, oh, we hate this person and like you say between left and right thing is the younger generation I always go back to the younger generation with this because I think they are going to be the deciding factor in how politics goes forward um, from here but the younger generation do not see in black and white these are kids that are growing up in schools that are extremely diverse now Um, they don't see immigration as a problem yeah Um, they don't things they can't look on the TV and see this I know aesthetics aren't everything or even half the problem, but you know they will look at the um, 
things happening in parliament and just think this is an old archaic system full of old people yeah we do not attach ourselves to these no core values. and when when the independent group started and they made quite a show of getting up from their side yeah. of Parliament and moving across, it looked ridiculous. Mm. And however optimistic I am for a new independent group, that show, that might have been a show for the people within Parliament mm. and for people who follow politics closely and have done for many years, to a lot of people, I think that looked silly. And yeah. I think it looked as a non-statement almost. Yeah. I guess, you know, lots of people still share that famous tweet from david cameron you know the famous it's either um chaos with ed miniband or oh yeah you know stability of me like i'm not even gonna search it up to get the wording everybody knows what we're talking about <laughs> but that's a classic them and us yeah tweet and of course it comes back to get him a lot because it does seem ridiculous that, that's why it's actually quite reassuring um, when Vince Cable turned around and said, look, we if you are defecting from Conservatives or if you're defecting from Labour, um, we're more than happily like, bring you in and we'll all work together. Yeah. Moving moving Again, away from those things. Yeah, moving away from those things and move, you know generate something new that yeah. encompasses um, interests from all sides. Yeah. And this is before the independent group got together. I mean, Vince Cable's been saying this since, I think, pretty much Brexit. Yeah. Um, and that that is something that's wholly needed in a world of us and them we need as we said last uh, last episode we need bipartisanship yeah we need to share ideas yeah and I actually think and I don't think people are going to like me saying this but I think that government should be a lot bigger than it is no I'm more than happy that. Mm. I'm not if I was in America I would be a democrat I'm somebody who believes in government mm. and I'm somebody who believes in the systems of government reaching out into communities mm. um, I 100% believe government should be bigger Oh, you might you might agree with uh, something I've got to say later then. Okay, I, look to that. <laughs> I also think maybe my final thing at this point is that um, where you talk about how bipartisanship is the way to look forwards, mm. when these parties exist so separately and just exist to antagonise each other, mm. if we look at the Conservatives, many people within the Conservative Party want Brexit and they want it from what traditionally you would say is a right-wing place. But Jeremy Corbyn is a proponent of Brexit and yep. he wants it from a socialist standpoint, which is a left-wing standpoint. Mm. So if both sides want this same negative thing, something's not right there, is it? And I, I think That's, the electorate yeah. are starting to see that and starting to realise that. Okay, so I feel like we probably looked at some evidence, was our word, wasn't it, for mm. where we see the gulf between yeah. the current political system, you know, mainly skewed towards England, because that's where we live, but also we touched on other places and the electorate that mm. exists um, what would you like to talk about next I think we should see the ways in which that gulf might be mended okay. and the ways which um, the political system might change in the future definitely definitely how, how, what, what have you seen from, from your research well my, most the best thing I've seen so far is something um, called the Sortition Foundation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of them, but no. they are... Um, it's a process of random selection where people of the general public get brought in to act as um, members of government, members yeah. of parliament, as it were. And the um, thing is, there's been a lot of... Con there's a lot of um, doubt around this from, yeah. you know, staunch um, career politicians because they think that someone who would just come into the job... Uh, as the job stood, um, wouldn't have a clue what they're doing and they would act in an irresponsible manner. But this has actually been something that's um, played out in Iceland 
uh, I think in Belgium as well, I think in the Netherlands. And it's actually turning into a pretty good concept because it turns out that when someone is given responsibility, they act responsibly. It's funny, um, as you were describing this to me, you know, my immediate thought is, well, the negatives of this is, you know, if, if I was called in and it's like, well, you, mm. need to be, you need to be a health official for the next mm. eight months, what do I know about health, the health industry? But our current health secretary <laughs> has very little experience in the health sector as well. And probably every health secretary for the last 50 years has had very little experience mm. in that industry. Uh, they're advised by people who have experience, mm-hmm. but they bring their own objectives to that role, mm-hmm. their own prejudices. So realistically, there's no difference. Exactly. That's yeah. actually why I think that it completely eradicates the need for an actual party. Yeah. If you turn around to the average person and say, what do you think we should do in health? They would probably say, put money into the NHS, mm-hmm. as so many people would say. So you end up getting an influx of money going to the NHS. Obviously, they'd say, that's what we think we should be doing. That's what I, from my experiences, that's what I believe the country wants. And then obviously advisors then go and enact these things, these enact these um legislations and the into the bills and i think that's actually a really positive thing to happen because instead of career politicians ride out through the tory party or the labor party and they you know have their own agendas from a political standpoint in that they are entrenched within their own parties mm-hmm. you can have a completely new perspective one that is not tied down to any political affiliations yeah and i think that is very liberal very very democratic the most, probably one of the most democratic um, arguments I've heard That's for a new political way. I to guess obviously forward. there are still negatives with it, isn't it? Is that um, people always do come with their prejudices, and people mm. always do come with their own agendas st- still. Mm. So yeah, they can still shape the role and whatever they want. So, but I yeah. do think there are a lot of positives in that, definitely. Mm. Especially the idea of separating that from the staunch party system. Mm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I and mean, that's one of the ones I. Um, that's that's probably the strongest argument I've heard. The way to go forward. Something I saw online that was quite interesting was people were talking about reframing the way we look at a political act mm. or how people engage with politics. So in that article earlier on, I said about that two percent figure. Yeah. They then, or the, the author then goes on to talk about, and I saw this reflected a couple other places. You know, when people do, for us talking about food banks, when people do volunteer at food banks. Mm although they might not be members of a political party, that in itself, to a certain extent, is a political act. Hmm. It's volunteering at a food bank, which is an organisation which helps to ease the suffering for people. Eat suffering which really, in my opinion, is has a direct consequence from government-run programmes. Hmm. And that also kind of shows the inadequacies of the party system. Hmm. But, uh, many people do many things which I would say are political acts, it's just they're not done within a party system and therefore aren't part of these card-carrying party mm. people. Well, that's why I think the sortition idea is a very good one, the sortition mm-hmm. uh, foundation idea. Because let's just say that the person in the line yeah. going to the food bank is then chosen to um, you know, take away austerity. Let's yeah. just say they eradicate it entirely. And let's say that person stays in uh, their position for a year and they do a huge turnover in... Uh, the kinds of services available for the very uh, the unfortunate few the unfortunate people that are um, reliant on these um, like food banks and other services that frankly aren't needed by people yeah. with money and just say even for a year if that eased something else where 
more money was put into their pockets or they put in universal basic income, yeah, anything like that, it would regenerate the way we see society as well. Yeah. So instead of it being a class system that is going, um, where the lower class is getting steadily worse, I say lower class, it's, that's not the case, but where that, um, the that system is the getting worse. Yeah, the people at the bottom of the rung are getting the people decidedly in poverty. worse. Exactly. People facing poverty are, um, if they can get a leg up for a, a year even, that would even the playing field so we wouldn't see so much class distinction either. And I think that's um, something to rely on. With that system, which is called again, would you mind just reminding uh, me of the sortition. name? Sortition. 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 That's really interesting. I like the idea that it's seen or could be seen as like a public service. Mm. Almost like it's your contribution to society. Mm. You know, we all have to contribute to this thing. And the way to contribute isn't just through paying taxes. Mm. You know, it's not just through doing that. It's you contribute actively. Yeah, and I suppose that I think uh, the reason why probably the amount of people who are part of a political party is so small is probably because they think by comp- contributing to that political party, what are they going to change? You know, what am I going to change mm. there? What effect am I going to have? When this would have more of an effect, exactly. And when people volunteer at food banks or when they go out and even pick litter on the streets, that's a political act in a way. Mm. Um, uh, in my own research, Sam, into this, I came across this. Uh, party in Denmark I don't know if you've heard of called the Alternative Party in Denmark mm-hmm. yeah and, and they seemed very interesting and they seemed to I think hold a lot of the values or work towards a lot of the values that we've spoken about as being things which disconnect people mm. from Moser government so their six main principles or their main so their main principles are about talking with the electorate and having that inform their own policies mm. and how they then enact those policies uh, within Denmark. Mm. And they seem to have had quite success with that as they now have members of parliament in Denmark and city councillors and seem to be striving. So, yeah, it's really good. They seem to have um, gone down to the actual people. And that seems like something that so few people are willing to do, especially politicians are willing to do, is actually speak to the electorate. Yes. There is a as we said at the beginning of this podcast, there is a disconnect there and that's really good to hear that in Denmark it's working out for them. Yeah, that they're seeing that the electorate aren't just people of which they govern, mm. they're people they need to talk to mm. and then have those discussions have major recognisable influence mm. on their own policies because essentially then, in a circle-like system, it's that electorate which is mm. then going to vote for those policies. That's actually quite interesting because... Apparently, the biggest people that turn out uh, at the moment to vote are um, those at the top of the wealth spectrum, whereas those at the bottom of the wealth spectrum don't seem to um, be that politically active. So, I think that is going to go a long way towards goes a long way towards ending that kind of paradigm. I think further to that, um, and through alternative, I found this piece of information that in Finland uh, there has been a collaboration between a volunteer-driven initiative and Parliament which was called Open Ministry, uh, which I'm not going to try and give the Finnish name for that. because. <laughs> but basically what it is, is that citizens were invited to submit bills as well as official mm. career politicians and members of parliament. Uh, and if they obtained a certain amount of votes online, let me see, 50,000. If they contained 50, if they obtained 50,000 votes, they were then read alongside all the other bills in parliament wow. and discussed. Uh, and that process actually led to five bills that's incredible. That have been sent for reading in uh, Finland. So obviously it doesn't mean they've become law, but they've gone further mm. than just the standard being read in Parliament. 
uh, for further discussion and debate and then possibly voting. So I think that serves, I think that's a great example of that gulf between government and people mm. becoming a lot smaller. Mm. It's it's also very telling that when you um, come to Finland, Denmark, uh, Sweden, these are places that have a very um, strong democratic set of values. Yes. And yet they are some of the happiest places uh, in the world. Um, yes. Definitely in Europe. And because they're actually involved in things, they're seeing the change at a community level. And that's one of the reasons why apparently there's a lot of political involvement in um, in Iceland because they actually is a more community-based spirit. Yes. Um, and, I mean, not being part of a community and not being part of a, a decision-making process can be extremely disheartening. And this, this, is a, this is the kind of thing that led to Brexit. So it's imperative that you avoid these things in future, such rash decisions, by completely um, by making people feel irrelevant. And feeling like they have no say in this and mm. nothing they would do ever change it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing that I will take from, from this. And I think, you know, we we think back to our kind of aims and our mission statement of the podcast and we're trying to work this way, you know, work this world out. I think what I'll take for what I've worked out from this is that the only way forwards is to bridge that gap between mm. the electorate, the people and the political parties mm-hmm. and places like in Denmark with the alternative. I've seen that and I think I can see that starting to become an action. Yeah, I think that's very much the case. I mean, we're not so much... There's a lot of people trying to divide at the moment uh, got nation states and a lot of people do not recognize the idea of nationalism anymore that is um, a very um, seclusive ideology to believe in that is to essentially shut yourself off from the rest of the world Um, and like you say because it's us and them uh, seclusion and so many different levels I think completely breaking apart the class boundary that we have often felt between ourselves and politicians um, entirely I think do that across the spectrum, especially throughout Europe. Um, and, you know, who knows? It could turn global one day. Yeah, definitely. I, I, mean, I think you're so right. Everyone reaching towards goals to make themselves happier can only lead to much better things in future than we're currently seeing at the moment. Entirely, entirely. I think that's so right. So, Sam, I think that's a pretty good place probably to finish up for our discussion for this week. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thanks very much for listening to us, uh, as always. Uh, we give you our Twitter handles. I am at will underscore parity ponds and it's uh, capitals at the beginning of each word there and sam uh, mine is at blurred lines excellent and we also have an email address yeah uh, what is our email address sam yeah our email address is a toast podcast or lowercase at gmail.com send us an email we'd love to hear from you and also if you've enjoyed listening to this why not leave us a review maybe rate us on itunes castbox also, uh, please listen out over the next couple of weeks. I know we teased this last episode and it hasn't come, but we will be having some mini episodes come out called uh, Dog-Eared, which is, you know, we spoke about books in the first episode. We're big, ferocious readers. Uh, and in these episodes, we're going to be talking about books we've read, took out certain topics of books, just generally books, books, books. I guess one should say, please keep an ear out for those. Uh, uh, oh, I see what you did there. Dear.